Tonight, as you can see from the screen, we're going to talk about time. This is the only lesson in the series that I have preached on other occasions. If you've heard it before, I hope you won't leave. I like to preach it, and I think it's helpful for us. You know, if we're going to be practical about living the Christian life, we have to factor time into that. And when you think about time, time is not something that you can create. Time is not something that you can borrow. Time is not something that you can store. Time is not something that you can hurry up. Time is not something that you can slow down. Time is not something that you can purchase, and yet time is priceless. Time is the most precious commodity in all of the world. It was Ben Franklin who said, Dost thou love life? Then do not squander time, for it is the stuff of which life is made. Thomas Edison said, Time is the most important thing in the world. You know, there's some truth to that, because if you don't have time, what do you have in the world? And Socrates said, time is the best of all possessions. This evening, our lesson is going to be presented in three parts. In part one of our lesson, we want to talk about the importance of redeeming the time. And why do we need to redeem the time? Well, we need to redeem the time because time is valuable. Time is the gift of God. You know, we are the stewards of many things. A steward is one who has something that is another, and he's accountable for how he uses it. We are stewards of our time. God has given us our time, and we will be held accountable for how we use that time. Two passages serve as our text this evening. Please turn to them. First of all, to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. In Ephesians 5 and verse 15, Paul said, See then that you walk circumspectly. Margin reading is carefully. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The second passage to this, the companion passage in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5, says this, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. The word redeeming in both of these passages comes from the Greek word exagorazo. And that word literally means to buy up for oneself. When we usually find the word redeem in the New Testament, it has reference to Christ redeeming us, paying the ransom price for us. But here a different word, exagorazo, is used, and it means to buy up for oneself or to use it up completely for yourself. The word Time, in both passages, 
is the Greek word kairos. And this word has reference to a season, to a time when something is in season. We understand that. And when you think about it, what that's saying is, when God gives you the opportunity of time, then you must use that opportunity while you have it. And so our text says, redeeming the time. We need to do that because time is valuable. It is God's gift. We also need to redeem the time because we know that time is swiftly passing. Turn with me back to the book of Job for a moment. And in Job chapter 14, verse 1. Here we read, man who is born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. There are many such figures of the brevity of life sprinkled through Scripture. One of the more familiar is in James chapter 4 and verse 14. James says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. I can remember when in my grandparents' home in Macon County, years ago, that on the wood stove there would be an old kettle. And when that thing would start to sing, we kids would run into the room, and you could see the steam coming out of it. And it was there for a moment, and then it was gone. And that is the picture that the brother of our Lord uses to remind us of the brevity of life. Time is swiftly passing. Now, when you put those two ideas together, first of all, time is valuable, and time is swiftly passing. Well, folks, since it is so valuable, and since it is swiftly passing, then we must use our time wisely. Let's just do some Bible study about that. I want you to turn to several passages with me. Let's begin in Psalm 39. Psalm 39. In verse 4, David said, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days? that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as hand's breath, and my age is as nothing before you. Create every man, certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. Surely every man walketh about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. There you see, again, several of those figures about the brevity of life. Now turn with me to Psalm 90. This is a psalm of Moses. In Psalm 90 and verse 10, the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, it's soon cut off and we fly away. And then in verse 12 he adds, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart 
of wisdom. Turn next to Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. In chapter 9, a very familiar statement in verse 10 of Ecclesiastes 9. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Notice how he factors in time. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Over just a few chapters to chapter 12, in verse 1 he says, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near, when you say, I have no pleasure in them. The wise man waxes very eloquent, using different figures to portray death. In verse 6 he says, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the picture shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well, when the dust shall return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. Fine. Important that we use it wisely. Now turn to John chapter 9 and verse 4. Let's look at a statement that Jesus made. In John 9 and verse 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. And then our text in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 4 that remind us of the importance of redeeming the time. If time is valuable, if time is brief, then we need to be wise in using our time. And folks, the important thing The important thing is not how long we live, but what we do while we live. It's not how many years are in your life, it's how much life is in your years. How long did Methuselah live? Well, I believe it's in Genesis 5 and 27 that it said that he lived 969 years. I asked one of my my Tiny Tots classes, how long is that? And one of them said, that's a long time. And it is. 969 years, but what did Methuselah do with his life? I don't know. I know his daddy was a righteous man. Enoch walked with God. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24. I know that his grandson was a righteous man. Noah walked with God, Genesis 6, verse 9. And I would assume that in the lineage of Seth, Methuselah was walking with God too, but I don't know that. It's interesting that those who study time and chronology tell us that Methuselah, we can tell from his age and the age of others, died the year of the flood. Did he die in the flood? We don't know. But he lived 969 years. Now contrast the length of his life with the length of Jesus' life. Jesus lived about 33 or 33 and a half years on this earth. 
He lived 936 years less than Methuselah. But just look at the impact of that single, solitary life. The important thing is what you do with the time that you have. Redeem it. Part two of our lesson tonight, I want us to think for a few moments about how we waste time. One of our favorite ways of wasting time is putting things off. As a matter of fact, it's been called America's favorite pastime. I'll do that in the future. I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. How many times have you said, well, I'll, I'll do that when I get around to it? Procrastination. Putting off until some future date what we ought to do now. Procrastination is the thief of the soul. In Proverbs 27, verse 1, Solomon gave this counsel. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring forth. You know, the devil whispers, do it later. If you're thinking about becoming a Christian, do it later. If you're thinking about getting your life right with God, do it later. If you're thinking about making some changes in your life in reference to habits or being a greater servant of God, the devil whispers, that's okay, just do it later. The fact that you are planning to obey the will of God does not bother the devil at all as long as he can whisper and you will listen to his words, do it later. It is perhaps the most effective tool that he has in his toolbox. When I was a boy growing up in Scottsville, Kentucky, we lived on North 6th Street. That's where my dad lives now. Over on North 4th Street, not far from the high school and the elementary school, Mr. Roy Newman had one of those little mom-and-pop grocery stores right in the middle of town. A lot of us boys riding our bicycles, we would go over to Mr. Roy's store. We would go over there. You could buy, any of you remember those orange pop-ups, that orange sherbet ice cream you could push up on the stick? You could buy it for seven cents. We get our ice cream. One day, we were talking with Mr. Newman. We said, Mr. Newman, give us some candy. He said, I'll give you some candy tomorrow. Oh, man, we hit the pedals the next day. We headed down North Force. North uh, 4th Street to Mr. Newman's grocery store. We went in, Mr. Roy, you said you're going to give us some candy. He said, I told you I'll give you some candy tomorrow. Even our juvenile minds, it did not take long to figure out that tomorrow was never going to come. That is exactly the premise that the devil is using. Think about your own life. How long have you been planning to do something important spiritually in your life? But you haven't done it yet because you've been listening to him whisper, do it later. While he whispers, do it later, the Bible shouts, do it now. 
In 2 Corinthians 6, 2, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. One of the great ways we waste time is procrastination. Another way that we waste a lot of time is just plain old idleness. Isn't it amazing with all of our gadgets and with all of the things that we have to do that boredom continues to be a major problem in our society? But folks, it's not only a problem, it's dangerous. Haven't you heard the quote that idle hands are the devil's workshop? A lot of truth to it. Is it wrong just to be idle? Well, it is certainly not right to sit and let the world pass us by. In James 4 and verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore to him that knows to do good and do not, does not do it, to him it is sin. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore as you have opportunity, do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. The parable of the vineyard is found in Matthew chapter 20. The master of that vineyard went out at 6 o'clock in the morning, got workers. 9 o'clock in the morning, got workers. Went out at noon and got workers. Went out at 3 o'clock and got workers. And then he went out at 5 o'clock and he found others who were still not working. And the master of the vineyard asked them, Why have you stood here idle all the day long? I wonder if the Lord will say to many in the church, why have you stood idle all of this time? Perhaps what we need is a wake-up call. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. There is a wake-up call in Romans chapter 13. It gives us a little shake. In Romans 13 verse 11, Paul said, and do this. Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, nor in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. It's interesting that the word awake in that first verse we read literally is a shout that says, Wake up! And if we are idle, we need to do that because we waste so much time that way. Third, may I suggest to you that Many people waste time wallowing in self-pity. Have you discovered that there are some people who just enjoy their misery? I have. In November, I will have been preaching full-time 40 years. I know that's an amazing feat for a 29-year-old man, but I've been able to accomplish. One of the things that I've learned through the years is that in the congregation there are certain people when I shake them out on Sunday or Wednesday that I dare not ask, how are you doing? 
because they will tell me about their gallbladder surgery in 1949. And that's just the start. There are some people that enjoy their misery so much that if they didn't have any misery, they would be miserable. And so that if they don't have any legitimate misery, then they'll just invent them some misery. I may have told you before, when we moved to Owensboro, Kentucky, we were there on the first Sunday morning, and it was just raining cats and dogs. And of course, I'm the new preacher, the new kid on the block, and as people are coming in, I'm trying to make a good first impression. And Like I say, it's raining. This lady and her sister came walking in, and she looked at, and I looked at her, and I said, it's raining out there, isn't it? And she said, well, you Church of Christ people believe in water, don't you? I backed over a deacon and a water fountain. <laughs> they went on inside, and I looked around at the deacon, and I said, whoo, pretty obvious she's not a member here. And he said, oh, yes, she is. And I'm thinking, thank you, Lord. Some people just enjoy their misery. Now, let me be specific. Somebody mistreated me. Well, how long ago was that? That was 50 years ago. Or even if it was six weeks ago. What'd you do about it? Our elders at Finley are pretty wise men. They have a very good policy. When somebody comes to meet with the elders to tell on another member, our elders turn in their Bible to Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 15, and read that to them and look at them and say, what did they say when you went to them? Oh, well, I, I haven't gone to them. Well, the Bible teaches that you need to go to them. If they've sinned against you, that you go to them. And what we're going to do is we're going to give you about a week to go to them, and then we want to meet with you again and see how it went. And we pray that you've worked out your problem. If you haven't, then we'll get involved and go with you according to the Bible pattern and see if we can work out this problem. I'll tell you what. That'll stop the tattletales running to the elders or to the preacher. And it'll overcome a lot of the disharmony in congregations, too, if we'll follow the Bible. Have you gone to them? The Bible says go to him and tell him his faults between you and him alone. Let me introduce another word into that conversation, forgiveness. Isn't it interesting that in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6, where Jesus gave the model prayer, that the only phrase in the model prayer that he commented further on was that phrase, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In verse 14, he said, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive your trespasses, but if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Do you realize that the greatest thing you can do for yourself is to forgive someone else? Because if you don't, they own you. You're driving down the street, the sun is shining, the birds are singing, you're feeling great, you're having a wonderful day, you look through the windshield and you're meeting that person on the road and suddenly your whole world turns sour. And they may not even know it, but they own you. Somebody mistreated me. People love the misery. 
from another perspective. Don't waste time excusing yourself and copping out because of what someone else did or did not do. At the end of the book of John, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he looks over at John and says, What about that man? And Jesus said, What is that to you? You follow me. We need to follow the Lord ourselves. Make the most of what you've got. Psalm 100 and verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. And that's what we need to do. When I was a boy growing up, after mother became a Christian, our world kind of changed. We started attending services all the time. And one of the things that I did not appreciate was the fact that I had to miss Walt Disney on Sunday night. Sometime if I could talk mother into it, which was hard to do, she liked to visit with everybody, I'd rush her home and we'd get to see the end of Walt Disney on Sunday night. Any of you old enough to know what I'm talking about? Do you remember that cricket, Jiminy Cricket? He sang a song that I think represents a wonderful philosophy of life. This is what he sang. He's saying you've got to do with what you've got, no matter what you've got. You've got to do with what you've got because that's what living is. Amen? Chester Sewell was a wonderful member of the Finley congregation. Highly intelligent man. Known throughout the United States for raising and breaking mules. The last 20 years of his life, Chester Jenkins or Chester Sewell never heard a word of a sermon. When we moved to Finley almost nine years ago, the elders told me, we want you to provide a sermon outline for Chester because he won't be able to hear you and he can study it while you're preaching. Chester and I had some interesting conversations <laughs> because Chester could not hear and I could not write on that marker board. Oh, he could speak just fine, but I couldn't write on that marker board. We tried to carry on a conversation and I'd write something and Chester would look at me and laugh and say, I can't read that mess. And I'd have to slow down and write it again. He lamented one day about the fact, he said, you know, I'd give anything if I could just hear a prayer. I haven't heard a prayer in 20 years. But every time the door of the church building was open, Chester Sewell was there. He was making the most out of his life. Someone, one of the young people, as a matter of fact, asked him one Sunday, said, Chester, why do you even come to church? You can't hear anything. Chester laughed and said, I can let them know whose side I'm on. Don't you admire that attitude? An indomitable spirit. Folks, don't waste time wallowing in self-pity. Number four. A lot of people waste time worrying. Now, we're going to talk about that at length Wednesday night. And so I'm not going to say a lot just here, but I'm going to say this. What a waste that is. Somebody compared worry to rocking in a rocking chair. You'll spend a lot of energy, but it won't get you anywhere. 
In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 27, the master said, Which of you, by worrying, can add a cubit to his stature? Now let's say you'd like to be 18 inches taller. I would. I really would. If I was 18 inches taller, I'd teach Shaquille O'Neal how to play basketball. But can you worry yourself into being 18 inches taller? Of course not. It's a totally futile exercise. What are we supposed to do? Turn it over to the Lord. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. You remember in the parable of the sower of the soils in Luke chapter 8 that some of the seed was sown among the thorns and the thorns choked the life out of the plant? And Jesus said the thorns represent, among other things, the cares of this world. It's interesting in the passages I've just cited, 1 Peter 5, 7, Luke 8 and verse 14, that the word cares is not a word that has reference to legitimate concerns of life, but the Greek word maremnia has reference to distracting cares. We're not talking about forethought, we're talking about fear thought, folks. We need to remember that we have a heavenly Father. We need to remember that Paul said that the antidote for worry is prayer. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Live confidently. Christians ought to live confidently. Tell them I said hello. Uh, In Romans chapter 8, what a great chapter. Verse 28 says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 37, yea, in all things we are more than conquerors through him. Verses 38 and 39, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Folks, we ought to live confidently. We need to remember we have a heavenly Father. These are things that cause us to waste time. Part one, we need to redeem the time. Part two, We need to avoid wasting time quickly. Part number three, I'm locked up. There it comes. Let's talk about time management very quickly. Let me give it to you first of all in principle and then a couple practical ideas. Two principles. Right from the Sermon on the Mount in the midst of Jesus' lesson about worry. In Matthew 6, 33, what are we supposed to do? Seek first what? Kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's to be our priority. That's how we're to prioritize our time. That's practical Christian living. Seek the kingdom first. Very next verse, next principle. Live one day at a time. Do not worry about tomorrow. Sufficient unto the day is its own trouble. Did you ever watch any of those old World War II movies? I love to watch those things. Those Navy movies, you know, with the, with the uh, submarines and the battleships. All of a sudden, they start blowing that horn on that ship, and they start closing all of those doors, making 
watertight compartments. You realize what they're doing? They're compartmentalizing that ship. In the event that the hull is penetrated, that compartment might flood, but it won't take down the ship. They are compartmentalizing that ship. What Jesus is telling us to do in Matthew 6, 34, is to compartmentalize our ship. If we would compartmentalize our lives into one-day compartments, I can't live a faithful Christian life for 10 years. I can't do it for five years. I can't do it for a year. I can't do it for a month. I can't do it for a week. But I can do it today. And you can too. These are the key principles of time management. Put the Lord first and live one day at a time. Now, a couple of practical applications. Be determined. I am going to use my time wisely. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you hear the determination in that? And doesn't that come down to living one day at a time, seeking the Lord first? Be determined you're going to do that. Second practical thing is be conscientious about that. Budget your time. Evaluate how you are using your time. Make modifications in how you use your time. Prioritize. Ask God to help you. Redeem the time. See, folks, it's not that we're bad people. I don't believe in horsewhipping God's people. Sometimes I may shake your teeth, but I'm not going to horsewhip you. World beats on you all week. You don't need to come to worship and be beat on some more. I know when I stand before God's people as I am tonight that I'm standing before the best people on earth. Folks, it is not that we are bad people. It is not that we want to slight God. The problem is we just get so busy, don't we? In 1 Kings 20 and verse 40, the servant told O Ahab he was supposed to have taken out the Syrian king Ben-Hadad and he didn't do it. And so he disguised himself and he told O Ahab a story. He said, this man during the battle was entrusted to take care of this prisoner. And he was told, now, if you let him escape, it'll be your life or you'll have to pay a talent of silver. And he said, lo and behold, I was busy here and there, and he was gone. How fitly that represents a lot of our lives. Busy here and there, and the first thing you know, we haven't met a responsibility and we're gone. Psalm 46 and verse 10, I think is a significant verse for a Christian. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Well, tonight I want to ask you as we take inventory, 
I want to ask you, have you put God first in your life? And don't you say, don't you say I don't have time. Because you have the same amount of time that everybody else on earth has. You have 52 weeks in the year. You have seven days in a week. You have 24 hours in a day. You have 60 minutes in an hour. You got 60 seconds in a minute, just like everyone else. It's not about having time, folks. It's about making time. If you don't hear anything else and remember anything else from this lesson tonight, I hope you'll remember this one point. When it comes to the good things of life, When it comes to God, when it comes to family, when it comes to service, we have to make the time. We have to make the time. Now, I believe there's some room for improvement in time management. I know there is in my life. How about yours? Amen? Room for improvement. 2 Samuel 14, 14 says that wasted time is like water spilled on the ground that cannot be gathered again. You ever spill water on the ground? Can you gather it up again? No. That's what happens when we waste our time. And so I ask you in closing this evening, as you look at how you've used your time, have you robbed God of your life And have you robbed your life of God? Do you need to become a Christian? Do you need to come and confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? The devil is whispering right now, do it later. God is shouting, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Do you need to be restored to serve God faithfully again? He's whispering, do it later. I pray you won't listen to him tonight. When it comes to living a faithful Christian life, folks, it's about time. It's about time.